Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so glad you're here today. I am excited to bring my guest, the one and only Kara Golden. Kara is the founder of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, which I love, my son loves even more. Hint is the leading unsweetened flavored water in the beverage industry. Kara has been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fortune's Most Innovative Women in Food and Drink, and EY Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California. She is a disruptor. She has gone through adversity. She has a book called Undaunted that came out in 2021, and she hosts the ever-popular the Kara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. And I am so uh, thrilled to bring you this interview. We talk about all kinds of interesting things about the beverage industry, about how we all get fooled into drinking unhealthy beverages like Diet Coke. She and I both had a Diet Coke addiction. She talks about how she built Hint taking it from an idea in her kitchen to the multi-million dollar organization that it is now. And we talk about employee ownership because all Hint employees own a piece of the company, which is near and dear to my heart, being an employee-owned company. So without further ado, I will bring you Kara Golden. Hang tight and I'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with the one and only Kara Golden. Kara, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So tell us about Hint Water. Why did you found the company? So I founded it almost, I can't even believe it, almost 17 years ago now. Well, I guess 16 and a half. We still have a few more months. But basically, I was a huge Diet Coke uh, addict. And I was a tech executive. I had never been in the beverage industry um, before or the food industry. And it was when I realized I was taking a little break um, from tech. I had four kids. I Actually, I was three kids with pregnant with my fourth kid when I had this idea for Hint. And it was, I think mostly I was focusing on what my kids were eating and and trying to be a good mom and and that's when i realized that i wasn't really practicing what i was preaching and that what i was putting into my body with all of these you know chemicals diet sweeteners i never really questioned that it was bad for me but one day i just saw so many ingredients i didn't recognize on my diet coke can diet soda and that's when i thought you know i wonder if it if I should just give it up and see what will happen. I developed terrible adult acne over the last couple of years and also had gained a bunch of weight through all my pregnancies that I couldn't get off. And my stomach aches were like every day I'd get a really bad stomach ache. So I thought I should just try and see if things will, you know, miraculously go away if I if I stopped drinking diet soda. I don't think I really believed it would, but I thought, what the heck, it's worth a try. And I was shocked to see that after two and a half weeks of giving up my Diet Coke, that's when my skin cleared up. I lost 24 pounds. I my stomach aches were gone. 
And I started to really realize that it wasn't the food that I was eating. It wasn't that I wasn't exercising enough. All of these things. It was really the the diet sweeteners that were causing insulin resistance inside. And for me, I, I had always heard the word insulin. And I thought the only people that actually think about insulin are people who are diabetic. I had never really thought about you know, how that actually affects how you metabolize food and exactly what's going on, how your skin is your largest organ and how, you know, things will start to come out on your skin because the insides aren't. And again, this was 17 years ago and not a lot of people were talking about this. I was never a nutritionist. My dad had developed a food company many, many years ago, but I had sort of, you know, discounted that and left it to the side and went into a totally different career. But as my dad said, I knew you were watching and <laughs> listening to what I was doing for years. But, but you know, when I finally solved this problem for myself in my kitchen around getting rid of the diet soda and I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water to get myself a little bit hydrated, that's when I thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there who go to stores. Whole Foods had just opened in the Bay Area. And I thought, you know, people are willing to pay for quality food that is cleaner. And they, when I looked in this category for drinks, I was surprised to see that there was just a lot of kind of healthy perception versus healthy reality. Vitamin water was like the hottest thing on the market. And I thought if I could just get people a product that doesn't have sweeteners in it, no sugar, no diet sweeteners, but something that just makes water taste better, then I could help a lot of people. And yes, I had an original business plan, but my my goal wasn't to grow a company and flip it and, you know, a couple of years and make billions. I mean, for me, it was a mission and a purpose in helping people that really drove me to start Hint. I love that story. Uh, I have a similar Diet Coke story. It was about 17 years ago. And I started, I was drinking three or four Diet Cokes a day and I started losing my memory. I could, and I have a really good memory and I could not remember things. <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time said, you know, it's probably the Diet Coke you drink because it's filled with neurotoxins. My guess is that it's doing something to your brain. And I, and I was like, what? So I went on and I, you know, Google and start looking. I was, you know, 26 years old at the time. And I started doing the research on it and I was said, I have to, but it was like getting off of drugs, <laughs> like yeah. breaking my Diet Coke habit. And it was amazing how fast my brain function came back after that. So I can completely relate with just how destructive and toxic it is. But you think like, hey, it's diet, it's healthy. Like, it has to be healthy. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I think like the other dirty little secret that I've learned about the you know diet sweetener industry in particular is that it's very targeted to girls. Yeah. And so the early adopters of diet sweeteners are teenage girls mm -hmm. and the target is to go after them and get them hooked. Diet sweeteners are addictive. Anyone who says that they're not addictive has probably never had a few Diet Cokes a day because they're definitely addictive. You want to keep, I mean, to your point, when trying to get off of them, you get headaches, you, 
you know, lots of stuff, you don't feel well, you're going through a true detox. And so I think that that's the thing that is probably the saddest and scariest thing that while, you know, I think about the cigarette industry and Mm -hmm. that the cigarette industry definitely was, you know, men and women. I don't know if it was more men than women, but my dad was, even, even though he created a a healthy food company, he was fooled by cigarettes. And he started smoking cigarettes when he was 14 years old. He was given them by the military. They were trying to recruit high school kids into World War II, and they gave them cigarettes. And he was hooked for many, many years. And he used to say to me when I was a little girl that doctors actually smoke cigarettes and you know, he was fooled. That was the healthy perception. But the the diet sweetener industry, if you look at it, it's Diet Coke was really created for little girls, for yeah. teenage girls. And they what do they care about? They care about weight. They care about, you know, what they look like. And that is exactly what they were doing. And mm-hmm. and so you get them hooked when they're teens and then, you know, they continue to move on through life and hopefully they stay hooked on on diet soda. They're never trying to get you into sugar because they know who you are, that you're persuaded by the diet and hooked on diet. So they don't try anymore. And that's what happens. And it's a very, very sad world. And I think when I unhooked myself from it, again, going back to to how I got there, and how I had been so fooled by these healthy perception products, it made me look at the industry, the beverage industry as a whole. And I think the food industry is like this too. But, you know, vitamin water was a brilliant marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. There's many people who thought that there were lots of vitamins in vitamin water. And sadly, you know, the company's been sued over and over again for how many vitamins there aren't in the drink. And it's just, You know, it's fascinating because I think most people started drinking vitamin water because they thought that they were doing better for themselves. Um, And I think the same with diet drinks. Yet I think that it's uh, it's still one where, you know, it's it's still available on the market. Yet it is it's one where I think every all the diet sweeteners and the soda companies would deny this and say that this is not what we're trying to do at all. Nobody thinks that diet soda is healthy. And, you know, when Taylor Swift is up there, you know, singing about Diet Coke, I mean, you don't think that, that there are people that, you know, think, oh gosh, Taylor drinks it. And so therefore I've got to have it. Of course they do. And so I think it's, it it's definitely something that i i think hint put a dent in the market to help people realize it you and i were talking a little bit earlier about storytelling and mm-hmm. how you know i've just shared my story over the years is people would say why did you leave tech why did you start this company the industry's competitive you know lots of different questions along the way and i just thought if i actually start with my story of my why, that's what helps people to understand. And then they try the product. And here we are today. That's amazing. And 
That transition going from tech into what you call being an accidental entrepreneur, like what did you take with you? Like how did how did all of the, your previous experience in the tech and in, in the tech world prepare you or not prepare you for starting this company? You know, it's so funny because even when I was starting Hint, I felt like so many people would ask me like, how did you have the courage to start your own company or how did you make that jump? from tech and originally media over to tech and then over to consumer products. And I think for me, it really started with, I always wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And maybe which is a little different from when people go and get a job. I One of the stories that I share in my book, Undaunted, is that when I was on campus and in college, grad, getting ready to graduate. There were plenty of people who came on campus to interview, but nothing really interested me. And so I thought, why would I show up to interview for a job that I wasn't really interested in getting? And people were like, well, how are you going to survive? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll waitress. I'll, I'll do whatever until I figure out exactly what I'm going to do. But I wanted to find something that I really, really enjoyed doing. And I've always been able to do that. What I hadn't planned on doing was my first job was at Time, which is probably the most, um, you know, oldest established company that I've ever worked for. When I ended up getting recruited out to work at CNN, Ted Turner was still running around the office. Uh, we were only in, CNN was in maybe 40% of households. Ted was in his Southern accent telling everybody, you know, we need 24 hour news. And some days we'd be like, yeah, we need 24 hour news. And other days we were like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this thing is going to happen or not, but it, it's a lot of fun and it's fun watching it. So that was probably my first experience from a cultural standpoint, watching an entrepreneur create, you kind of see the vision and the promise and the tenacity, but then also know that it might not work out, but that's okay because it was fun to watch it and I got paid and, you know, all that kind of stuff along the way, but you weren't really sure whether or not it was going to work, but you enjoyed watching it. And then when I moved from New York to Silicon Valley, I ended up wanting to work at Apple. I couldn't figure out how to get an interview at Apple. But I found this little startup that incubated inside of Apple. And I thought, I don't know, it sounds interesting. They're doing shopping. Who wouldn't want to work on shopping, right? At, at least in, in my view, I thought working on a platform for shopping where it's sort of like an online, one of the original online malls. And I just reached out. I ended up getting a job with five guys at an office. They weren't in a garage, but pretty darn close. <laughs> and so that was a place too where you know, we were building the plane while we were flying it. And it was when I went through an acquisition of that company to uh, another company called America Online that I realized that the third entrepreneur that I had come in contact with, Steve Case, who, I mean, we weren't even, Steve wouldn't want to admit this, but we weren't even like the leader in online services. I mean, we were we were probably like number three at that point when we got acquired. So CompuServe and this other company, Prodigy, were probably ahead of us. And But 
again, like watching somebody show you how you can kind of stay the course and eventually get ahead, say the same messaging over and over and over again, create a great product, focus on what you can control, not what you can't control, all of those kind of lessons. I had no idea that I would be able to take all of that and then take a couple of years off, spend time with my young kids, and then figure out what I'm thinking about and if I can actually create a product out of it. People have said to me, how did you have the courage to start your own company? And I think if you go and work for as many, you know, incredible, visionary, crazy leaders that I had worked for and how I studied so many as well along the way that you think it might not work out, but it might. And it'd be so cool if, if you just can make, if you can continue chipping away at the rock and seeing that you're making progress. And that was for me, the, the mission behind it that I thought, as long as I'm continuing to make traction, that's what I had seen over the years that you have enough days where you're getting traction versus you're taking a few steps backwards. You're always going to have those days where you're going to take a few steps backwards. But I thought if I can be doing this, I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to bring in a team. I'm going to think about all the other situations that I've been in that have really helped me to become who I am today and, and just go for it. But sometimes I think if you overthink it too much, this is the problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have. They just don't do it, yeah. right? You've got to, but I feel really lucky to have worked for a lot of, you know, great entrepreneurs. And, and I think it gives you, if not some sort of blueprint for how companies are built, it also gives you confidence that you don't have to have everything figured yeah. out. You can make mistakes along the way. You can, you can think that something's right one day and then you figure out that it really wasn't right. And as long as you own it and you learn from that mistake, you can actually continue moving forward and it's not game over in yeah. some way. So all of these things, I think, were really, really important pieces that helped me to become the leader that I am today. Yeah, that that resonates with me. I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I'm a hired gun, uh, 15 years in a CEO role that I took when I was 28. I had no idea what I was doing. I never had dreams of starting my own business. And really up until I think the last couple of years of getting that foundation and studying other leaders and surrounding myself with entrepreneurs, my husband's an entrepreneur, but he knew he was going to be one from the time he was a little boy you know, you start to see like, oh, I can do this. And I think that's really an interesting difference is that I think a lot of people think entrepreneurs as, okay, I have this idea and I started when I'm young and, and you're born that way. But really, most of us aren't. Most of us have to go out and get a bunch of experience and try things and watch and learn and then say, I actually can do that. And for the first time, I've said, I think I can actually be an entrepreneur. Whereas for many, many years, I just always thought that's not me. I don't have those kinds of ideas. I can implement and put a strategy into place and go implement it and execute it really well. But how do I come up with that spark? And so your story so resonates because you knew building up your throughout your career and then making that switch after, you know, a couple of decades out there, you know, grinding in 
in corporate America, it's really inspiring. So thanks for sharing that aspect of it. Yeah, totally. And and I think to your point, there's no one way or one place where entrepreneurs come from either. I think there are entrepreneurs that maybe are born entrepreneurs. I think there's other entrepreneurs that, you know, go and work for other people as I did that were starting companies. Um, So you sort of see how normal they are or abnormal and they still, you know, are able to create companies. But I think that there's also people who have an idea and they've been inside of large companies and then they I don't know, they just surround themselves with people that maybe have had different experiences, too. I think that the number one thing that I see in successful entrepreneurs is that you've got an idea and you're willing to try it and you're willing to fail. I, I don't think that there is any entrepreneur that I know that doesn't think that there's a chance that yep. it might not work. Yeah. Right. And but I think that the most important thing is, is that you just keep, you know, pushing forward. I always equate it to, you know, being an athlete. Right. When you go in and yeah. maybe try a sport, you never really know if it's going to work or not. But as you start to get traction, you know, I was a gymnast and I I'd have some days where I'd fall off the balance beam and, you know, and hurt myself and I wouldn't want to get back up or I wouldn't focus on that that sport for a while or whatever. But I think after a while, you start to find this connection and you find, you know, what you enjoy about it. And I think that the piece that I never really realized until I launched Hint was just by launching a product, you know, less than $2 product, I could help a lot of people gain what they couldn't figure out how to get before. So Mm And and that really is the driving force behind me wanting to do what I've been doing for the last 16 and a half years, and that is to help people get healthy. And we get notes from people daily on, you know, you've helped. Thank you so much for developing this product. You've helped me get through chemotherapy. You've helped me lose weight. You've helped me uh, maintain my blood sugar levels, you've helped me just drink more water, whatever it is along the way. And I think it's it's such a it's such a powerful thing to be working on a product that helps other people. And all of the companies that I had done previous to Hint were great in their own way. But I think that when you can actually impact an individual's health and actually help them, and these are people that you've never met before, but they'll actually go and purchase your product because it's going to help them. It's going to help their family. It's a really powerful thing. It's not just about, you know, searching for a product or getting the news or all those things are great. I'm not diminishing them, but it's it's a whole different level when you can actually help people in some way. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine that that flows through to all of the employees at Hint as well where they feel like they're part of a bigger purpose as well and and making a big difference in people's livelihood in their lives um, and the health of their lives and their families a really big deal. So I can imagine that it just infiltrates through the company as well. So it's not just making improvements in your customers' lives, but also in your employees. It's definitely something as from a cultural standpoint, we've created something that's pretty special, I think. And I think 
no matter what you're doing today, working for something that you believe in, that you're proud of, that you can get really excited behind it. I, I remember just one tiny little story. We a couple of years ago we did a Super Bowl ad, and I, like I thought it was really great because that's sort of like you know the the granddaddy of advertising and marketing. You know, you sort of joke around like maybe one day we'll do a Super Bowl ad, and we figured out how to make that happen, which is a whole other story where we bought up a lot of the local markets. Um, it wasn't in 100% of the country, but we bought up a lot of the local markets. And I think we we're in 70% of the country. And what I didn't anticipate was how many employees were so proud yeah. that they were working for a company. And my phone my phone actually got hot from all the texts where people were seeing it. It was right before halftime and friends were friends and shareholders were texting me and saying, oh my gosh, I just saw like, you know, we're part of like a, a brand that's doing a Super Bowl ad. This is awesome, whatever. But all of these employees were, were texting and then afterwards all talking about how proud they were to be at these Super Bowl parties and to be part of something yeah. that was good for them and how like they were like, hey, don't you work for Hint? And they're like, yeah, you know, we're doing a Super Bowl at that kind of stuff. I always wonder if that happens to people who are at the big companies, right? If people say, hey, don't you work for that company, you know, that does a Super Bowl ad every single year? What I don't know, whatever it is. I just, I think there was this, this underdog swell that goes on when you're part of something. And I definitely felt that and still feel it to this day. We had, I had something uh, recently, not on that scale at all, but <clears throat> one of my employees was in Washington, D.C. at George Washington University touring with her daughter, who's making her decision on where she wants to go to college. And they were walking through campus on this tour. And this gentleman comes up and, and her daughter was wearing a mask and it had Stone Age on the side. And this gentleman came up and said, is that like Stone Age that does water blast tools that Carrie Siggins is the CEO of? And her like, yes, I love that company. It's employee owned and it supports engineering and women in engineering. And I just, I read everything. I follow everything that Stone Age does. And anyway, he was some executive at GM. Um, and I love my it. employee came home and she was like, K Carrie, KP, everybody calls me KP. I just have to tell you, what happened? And she said, I was so filled with pride, like never before could I imagine that, you know, on this little mask with, you know, the word Stone Age that I would have someone who could tell me about the company and tell me intimately about what the company was all about. Like, this is really cool to be part of. And so, yeah, I think that making a difference in the world, being the underdog, being a small company, fighting out there, it, 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 and winning makes some makes people very proud to work for that company. So it was it was my little small taste of your Super Bowl. <laughs> I, no, I, I love it. And I think it's something that I think you'll appreciate too, especially being married to an entrepreneur. It's like, it it doesn't, you don't have to, not everyone should be an entrepreneur, right? I, being an entrepreneur is incredibly it's hard work and, you know, the decks are stacked against you from day one, right? 
and it's risky and, uh, you know, all of these things. Right. But that doesn't mean that you can't go work for an idea that you believe in, that you'll that because that underdog story becomes your underdog story as an employee for that company. And that's what you were feeling. And that's what you were describing from your employee that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just about carried the CEO. It was right. Like it was about about exactly. (laughs) I'm so proud. Like somebody sees the mask and, Uh you know, and I, so anyway, I love that. Oh, it was, it was great. It was great. Now I think I read somewhere. Do you have employee ownership at Hint or some sort of employee ownership? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, in fact, yeah, like everybody in the company, I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's more and more beverage companies today uh, that have that. But when we came out uh, 16 and a half years ago, I mean, clearly vitamin water. Um, I'm just trying to think vitamin water, honesty, a few others uh, that had started out. They definitely Snapple. I mean, is probably a pretty famous story around that. But there were still a lot of companies that didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's few and far between. Um, for beverage companies. But again, growing up in tech, um, that was just something that, I mean, we were just so used to it. And it was, we just couldn't imagine. We also felt like there was definitely an advantage to giving people um, the, you know, the, the ownership in the company. And I don't know how, how you feel about this, but one of the things that I have always uh, said to my employees over the years is uh, when they've, you're always going to have people who talk about the CEO and talk about the COO um, as, as the owners, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm, I've always said, um, you know, that's not like everyone's an owner right around here. I mean, we have shareholders, we have employees. I mean, everybody's like, as long as you have equity in the company, you're owners. And I think that that's a really, really important thing for people to remember. And sometimes, you know, you hear that enough if you're an employee in a company that does have ownership and it starts to sink in. But if you're not really used to sort of feeling like you're an owner, in the company, it's sort of a foreign kind of feeling. And I think it's one that's really important. Yeah, we we do a lot of education around it. So we're an ESOP company. Uh, and a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean? And 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 what does it mean to be an owner? And so we've done so much work over the last really eight, nine years over instilling what we call the own it mindset and you know how we expect our employees to show up as owners and and behave as owners and how you'll be rewarded as owners and you start to see it really click, not just because they have equity in the company and and really valuable equity. Uh, they're certainly creating a lot more wealth by being owners at Stone Age than they would be, you know, just building out their 401k at another company. And but it, more than that, it's the sense of being part of this bigger team with this bigger purpose, even though we're in like a completely unglamorous industrial cleaning, like you know, the, the, the dirtiest of the dirty world. But people are really proud of what we do because not only do they get to share in the success of the company, but they work with teammates who are just as committed as they are, which makes working better. And our products are out there saving lives. And that makes like this bigger purpose. And so 
this is a really unique culture, but it has taken so much education around what does it mean to be an owner and why does this matter? Not just in the short term, but in the long term as well. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And so did you do a formal, are you, did you do um, your employee ownership through like stock options, stock grant, things like that? Or do you have some other kind of formal program? I'm curious. Options. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, and again, like, yeah, vests over four years, so, which is pretty standard, at least in Silicon yes. Valley. And I'm not sure outside of Silicon Valley, but I think that's pretty standard. Yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, we have people who have worked in the company for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had a bowling um, outing uh, right before the holidays. And, you know, it was fun to see we had somebody who's worked for us for 15 years and, you know, lots of people who have worked and they keep continuing to see the company go to next levels. It's very, very exciting. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, that's a good segue into what's coming next for you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what you've really learned throughout this whole process? I think more than anything, what I've learned is that being the founder of a company and watching it go from zero <laughs> to getting that first bottle on the shelf and continuing to grow it to, you know, where we are today of, you know, a quarter of a billion dollar company is, um, it, it's daunting, like in many ways to look back on it and sort of see, wow, I mean, do you remember, I'm sure you have the same situation where, you know, whether you're a founder or not a founder. I mean, you just watch where you've got these hurdles where, yeah. you know, you definitely are, you know, you didn't know whether or not you were going to be able to go through um, certain things. Maybe you learned lessons about putting too many of your eggs in one basket. Uh, you learned about what happens to employees when they leave. Like I mentioned before, they, they rarely go to a sugary company. Like how just You've had impact on someone's journey. You've created, in our case, we not only created a company and, and a new product, but also an entirely new category in the beverage industry called unsweetened flavored water. And, you know, being able to see how that's affected the, just the industry as a whole, people as a whole, what people care about. And I think also just thinking through even things like delivery of product and and not accepting the fact that the only place where people are going to receive products is to be on shelves in stores. We um, still to this day have one of the largest direct-to-consumer businesses in the beverage industry that goes direct from drinkhint.com. Um, how having a product in online through Amazon, but also having it through uh, drinkhint.com and being able to be successful on both platforms actually leads other beverage companies and food companies and consumer companies to say, hey, Hint is doing it. So maybe we should do that too. So it's an exciting time. You know, I, I probably have the most fun listening to consumers who, who can go back through memory lane with me and remember how things were so different and how it was just an idea. Maybe to some extent, I, you know, feel like an Elon Musk when he was starting 
you know, the electric cars or Steve Jobs when he's, you know, thinking about how to make a different computer and focusing on different types of things. And so I think making change and disrupting in a way and having that vision isn't always easy, right? There's always going to be doubts along the way from yourself or others that you're going to be able to do what you're going to be able to do. But I think that the most important thing is figuring out how to move forward, how to continue to grow, how to support your people, your shareholders, uh, the company. And then I'm a huge believer that the rest gets figured out. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you've been doing some reflecting forward. <laughs> the name of this podcast. For sure. Well, and that's what I've been doing my whole life, you know, yeah. trying to figure out what do I want going forward um, and what lessons have I learned along yeah. the way? Because I also think that sometimes you're in a really hard situation where, you know, you're trying to figure stuff out along the way. And I think that the most important thing in those situations, for me, it's not sort of forgetting about the past at all. Instead, what I find is if you focus on how to move forward and learn lessons from the past and figure out how those things play into what you want to do going forward, that's how things get resolved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge believer that your past shapes who you are today, but it doesn't have to define who you are in the future. And so if you totally. can blend those two things together, then you can overcome, you know, any hardship, any adversity, but it doesn't mean it's not hard work. Uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt along the way, but it doesn't have to define your future. So true. I, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to wrap things up. Uh, so how can people find you, Kara? Yeah, so I'm all over social at Kara Golden with an I, and I just wrote a book, as you mentioned, called Undaunted. It was came out a year ago. It's Wall Street Journal bestseller, uh, really about my journey and, and not only growing Hint, but also on getting over hard, challenging times. So hopefully, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're somebody that is just really trying to think about being an entrepreneur or get through challenging times or whatever that is, hopefully you'll gain some um, insight and inspiration from it. And hopefully you'll also reach out to me and connect with me on social as well. Wonderful. Well, I didn't know about Hint until I read your book. I, it came across, uh, I can't remember where I was, like somewhere on Amazon, I'm sure. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I knew you were a YPO member like me. And so I always try to yeah. support YPO members and read YPO members books. And I'm also about, I'm in the process of publishing my first book. So it's always good to read from other CEOs. Yay! And that's how I learned about Hint. And so then I went and got some and I was like, this is fantastic. And now it's all my son will drink and my dog has your stuffy hint stuffy toy and it's his favorite Yay. toy i think i sent you a picture a while back with i know, love with, it with it in his mouth so it's a fantastic book and and i think really inspiring to to hear all of the the things that you overcame to get hint to where it is today so congratulations on on thank all that hard work thank you so much yeah. thank you Absolutely. well thanks everyone for listening all right hang tight everyone i'll be right back All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. It's good stuff. And with that, I will leave you to your day. I look forward to hosting you on next week's Advice from a CEO and Reflect Forward. And if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, write a review. I always appreciate it. Have a great day. See you next week.